0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff.
1: You're listening to Working Forward. Presented by Symetra, In partnership with NASA Reimagine. In this limited podcast series, Hosted by Harry Monty, Laura Dineen Haber, Paul Tyler, and Todd Zen, we explore the future of work from a variety of viewpoints and discuss the challenges and opportunities ahead.
2: Hello and welcome to the Working Forward podcast. I'm Todd Zen, one of your hosts, and we are thrilled that you have joined us as we continue our exploration of the future of work. I am extremely excited for this episode. Been really looking forward to recording it. Uh, And that's because we've got some guests here that could not be better positioned to opine on our key topic the future of work. Uh, They join us from the employee benefit broker industry, and they are on the front lines working with employer clients helping them manage through the implications of the future of work. So really excited to welcome them into the program. But before we do, I wanna introduce our hosts. Uh, So first, Harry Monte, head of the group benefits here at Symmetra. Harry, hello, welcome to the show.
0: Hey Todd, thanks for the quick intro. Looking forward to this one as well. I uh, agree with you. We've talked about so much. Uh, in our previous episodes. And and these gentlemen here are well positioned right in the midst of uh, consulting with employers on this exact same thing. So I think it's going to be a great discussion.
2: Excellent. Thanks, Harry. Great to have you. So we also have our friends from Nassau Reimagined, although we only have one friend today. Unfortunately, Paul Tyler had a conflict and wasn't able to join us. But Laura Dinenhaber is here. Uh, Laura, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Todd. It's great to be back. And, you know, I hope everyone had a chance to catch our recap episode. It really outlined a lot of things that we had been discussing, and that set up today's conversation quite well. So I'm excited to jump in.
2: Excellent. Well, uh, without further ado, let's bring in our uh, guests. So first, we've got Dale Alexander. He joins us from Alexander & Company, uh, recently acquired by Hub International. So Dale, welcome to the show. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience and maybe giving them a little bit of background on what you do?
3: Appreciate it. Thank you, Todd, Harry, y'all for having us. Um, Alexander and Company for 27 years, uh, all we've focused on is school systems, K-12 schools, very niche defined. And um, so uh, proud to be associated with Hub International as of this past June. And let me say, if it looks like I'm in a hotel room (laughs) at the Don Cesar in St. Pete, because my wife would never have that in our room. Appropriate here, not at the Alexander household. So, thank thank you all for having me, Laura. Appreciate, it. glad to be with you
2: all. Awesome, <clears throat> thanks so much, Dale. Welcome. Uh, so, next we've got Simon Samai joining us from Mercer. Simon, hello, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, how are you? Uh, good to be here. Uh, um, Simon Samai, just a little just a little bit about me. Uh, national uh, practice leader for a few businesses. One is what we call LAD, an acronym you'll hear, life absence disability voluntary benefits and executive benefits, and uh, excited to be uh, on with everybody.
2: Absolutely happy to have you. So, and last but not least, we've got Jeff Hughes joining us from Alliant. Jeff, hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, Todd. Nice to meet you guys. Um, Yeah, Jeff Hughes.
5: uh, I practice out of Santa Barbara, California. Um, Our corporate headquarters is based out of Irvine, California, and I'm one of the partners in the employee benefits space for California Marketplace for Employee
2: Benefits. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show and thank you all for joining us. So I know Harry is just chomping at the bit to ask you a question. So let me hand it over to him to get us started.
0: Yeah, thanks, Todd. So um, I'm going to start with a pretty broad question, right? Because we've been through a number of episodes now where we've talked about several macro trends from um, remote work to generational differences. The impact technology has had on how we work Um, It's a long list of things that employers are trying to navigate as they think about the future of work and uh, really making sure that they're positioning themselves well as an employer of choice. So um, I'd love to get your perspective on how your business has changed over the last few years. And it's a two part question. So I'm going to I'm going to start with a two parter. Um, The first part is really curious about how your own firm has changed, right? Uh, As an employer and as someone who works at a firm, how has your work experience changed? Uh, And then the second part is how have things changed uh, in the way that you serve your clients? So um, I'm gonna go to Simon first.
4: Well, I'd say um, as it relates to changes, right? I'd say um, I have, uh, hopefully it's not too long winded, but I'd say there's three buckets. I call it uh, choices, voices, and culture, right? If you think about what's the biggest changes, it's no longer I come to work, here are my benefits, here's the decisions I make. It's you know the dynamic of COVID and what's occurred since then, um, organizations are reflecting and they're reflecting, okay, when I make a decision to outsource or consider a partner, how does this represent my culture? In essence, I'm outsourcing my culture, that's what. Two, voices and choices, right? If you have a choice, your employees will have a voice, meaning um, the old days of uh, if you put in a plan, come from home office and it came in a certain way, an employee may or may not have um, been happy with the results and they'd say, and maybe their, their feedback may have been discounted because here's the plan. Now that employee has a voice, right? If the organization's made a choice to outsource and give it a benefit, that employee has a voice and can escalate and say, hey, this is, does not align with how you hired me, why I'm staying and where I'm at in my life. And so while there's this easy way of saying things have gotten more complex and folks are demanding more, I just think it's uh, there, there's more of an introspective view. So I'd say that's the three biggest things that I've seen in our journey in evaluating is uh, understanding that it's one part of organizational cultural decision, that choice is impacted the culture, but that choice is giving voices to others. And if, and if you solve those three items, that's where you're aligned with an organization's mission. So it's no longer, and if you notice what I said there, none of it was related to a benefit and offering a solution. It was really connected to the mission and the building around it. Hopefully that makes sense, Harry.
0: That's great, Simon. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, you want to comment?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think you know I'll take a, a little different perspective on the, how business has changed a little bit. I think you know having been in an employee benefits space for going on thirty years, I, I think that the, I think the compliance level at the, both the state and federal level has just made it very taxing on employers, right, to to navigate the healthcare system uh, and, and really just to navigate their business. So I think a lot of our business has become, you know becoming experts in compliance, communication, wellness, you can name the topic. And I think that that has become kind of the nuance of where many employers lean heavily on us, right, as, as broker consultants to, to kind of guide them down those paths. Um, I think that is, uh, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. I look at what we've done, you know, like I said, been doing this for many decades. We are expected to be experts at a lot of things, and so I think that that has changed considerably. So I think when you look at, you know, I came from a smaller firm to Alliant, um, obviously the breadth, I think Dale will complete this as well. When, you, when you're with a larger firm with more resource, more capabilities, Simon's obviously with a large firm, um, that, that those, those services get tapped quickly by, by, by employers, because I think there's so much pressure, downward pressure on the employers to kind of meet the needs of, of managing their healthcare spend. And, and I kind of remind my staff all the time, you know what we do is important but our clients are in business because they sell something they service something they develop something the insurance is a byproduct of owning a business and so we need to kind of remove a lot of the obstacles for our clients to be able to do what they do best and it's very complex so we're we're constantly looking at things how do we you know bring things quicker faster to our clients while also kind of trying to keep a good balance between our responsibilities and the employer responsibilities, as I think Dale and I agree. It's a, it's a fine tightrope at times.
0: Great. Thanks. And, and Dale, do you want to add anything?
3: Yeah. Back in 2000, um, uh, we started putting all of our clients online with technology and, uh, Uh, Nobody was doing it. It was just very difficult. And we just kept failing forward, as John Maxwell says. And so we found ourselves kind of leading in technology, at least. Then we got a call center. And so what COVID did is kind of um, we had been kind of pre-COVID before COVID ever hit. I mean, we had been teaching virtually. We had been enrolling virtually, taking call centers virtually. Our staff had been able to be remote wherever they worked. And COVID kind of made everybody get to that level. It's fascinating because I mean, I had friends that own brokers that had to go buy their employees' laptops. So it made everybody get to where where we were. It's fascinating because I mean, we had been pre pre we had been COVID proof before COVID proof hit, but now everybody had to get there. So you had to you had to learn how to think, how to teach out of the box, how to enroll out of the box, how to take call center out of the box, and and get there pretty fast. So it kind of we kind of saw everybody rise to what we've been trying to do and trying to perfect so it was really fascinating to watch that
0: yeah dale i you before we move into the next question i'll just comment on that because as a as a carrier who works with um you know many producer partners across mm-hmm. the industry, we saw that, right? We saw which firms were where in that evolution around technology. And it was really interesting. And, and the carriers were in, in very different places as well. Um, I think that put a lot of pressure on employers um, in, in many situations. And, um, you know, luckily, everyone pivoted pretty quickly and, and were able to uh, to get to where they needed to be. So it's a good and call out.
3: It, if I could say here, I mean, to the granular effect of, just how, you know, E of I's and, and, and just the, the enrollment uh, uh, kind of journey that people can go through in products today, it's gotten, you know, uh, much more guarantee issue. E of I's are, are paperless now, and all of that had to happen because people weren't sitting down in front of people. So, you know, COVID did some bad things. It did some good things. And part of this is, is one of the good things that COVID did in our, in our business.
1: Yeah. And staying on the the trend of change, you know, I'll, I'll put the question out there. You know, do you see changes in how individuals are working? I'd be shocked if, if anyone said no to that, but you know, what changes are you seeing in how individuals are working? What type of work are they doing? Has that changed? Where are they're working? You know, what, what kind of impacts have all that had on the types of benefits that are being offered within the workplace? I'd mm. say so let's start with Simon on this one.
4: Yeah. Hey, Laura, I, I I'll tie it to my, uh, what I said previously, but I'll go a little bit deeper and, and for everybody talking, I was really giving more of that employer view versus mm-hmm. just the Mercer, but I'm going to tie the both together. <laughs> if you think of somebody um, working from home, and again, that those three buckets I mentioned earlier, they're naturally seeing everything through their world and their home. Okay. So when you go into an office, you see your organizational logo, uh, you see your coworkers that you work with 10, 15 years you see the mission around, you see what's happening. You might even see your clients in the office, but when you're working from home and you're in your home environment, so you have your home reality, th- there's a part where you have to, again, connect those missions, right? And so I think there's ways now, in this new way of work, is how do you connect, um, I'd say, missions, priorities, and balancing it with where somebody's at in their own days. And I think our clients are, are feeling that out, too, The formality of meetings, right? When do you need meetings? Prioritization. So I I do think this looking at everything is allowing us to reset and say, okay, what did we need to keep? And what can we jettison, right? Did we have meetings just because we had meetings? Um, Were we evaluating talent through geographics versus Mm -hmm. just looking at roles a little bit differently? So I I think there is an evaluation going on and saying, the old norms may have been tied to coming into an office or being tied to a geographic, which is okay. Now you can look at things broadly and be a little bit more efficient. But the next part, Laura, that I think that we also have to look at is being tied to a culture makes things a little bit more efficient because if you have one problem come up and everybody's working from home, do you, if somebody thinks they have 50 unique problems where if you're in an office, maybe it's like, Hey, we have one solution because you're you're seeing each other, that chit-chatting in between calls and meetings. So it's balancing that there's some benefits with streamlining and looking at talent versus just being tied to geographics. You might have more flexibility and scale, but can you scale your culture at home? Can you scale that mission where somebody feels safe, comfortable, and a little bit more efficient? So to me, it's like finding that balancing act. And I think everybody's um, whether it's on, on our side of the house that Dale and Jeff are going through, or employers, everybody's finding their rhythm. And I think now that we're out and we're traveling and it's getting kind of back to normal, you, you could see folks uh, flexing different muscles <laughs> in, in the new world. I think next year we'll, we'll probably, everybody will have a little bit more of a, uh, established cadence, but that's, you know, balance and finding it. I think that's the theme for this year. I think you'll see a, a better rhythm next year.
5: Yeah. I would, I, yeah, I, I would love jump that. It, in Laura to Simon's point. Ahead, I, I think when COVID first hit, I remember being at home, my son was supposed to be off in college and couldn't go. And I remember my first day on zoom calls, he, he mm-hmm. came downstairs at one point and was like, how many more calls do you have today? I'm like about eight more, you know? And so he was blown away by that. And I think to Simon's <laughs> pointing tying that culture, right. I think that when, 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 COVID hit and, you know, shutdowns happened, et cetera. The use of technology is is either our friend or our enemy, right? I think at one hand, you would start seeing like people loading up, you know, loading up your Zoom meetings. And and I think it's gotten better because I think it's also Mm -hmm. forced us to be better at saying, okay, what's the agenda topic today? You know, if we can get this done in 30 minutes, right, we'll do it in 30 minutes. We don't need a full hour. Um, If we can do these things... Without traveling, right? There's some efficiency gain for sure. I think employers, I think we've seen it in our organization. Um, you know, where you can be in front of a client that's not, you know, in your in your in your same zip code, right? You can get things done quicker. I think it's forced us as an employee, as a as a brokerage firm, to to be very good at the online piece, which is you know treat it like you were in a meeting, right? Which is a little bit different, but making sure you have an agenda, making sure you are clear. We've done a lot of finalist presentations all remote, right? And it's kind of different, right? It's a different model when you're not shaking people's hands and getting to know them personally, but you're still engaging them. You've got to be really good on the technology side to make that happen. Um, but I, I think that to answer your question too, I think it's helped our folks. I think we've had to balance it out, right? I think folks working to goes back to Simon's point, working from home inside your, I personally do not like working from home. I'm in an office today. I've been in an office the whole time. Um, I think we're all built differently in that regard but i think it's really important that we protect our employees time so they can have a separation between you know work and play and if that's hard when you've got young kids fortunately my kids are older um but i have got you know team members with young kids that's that's a challenge when you're working from home right and so we're seeing a lot of employers start to adapt more pro- programs around that for their cult- to fit their culture right for their employees
1: yeah, absolutely. I I personally have a seven year old and a sixteen month at home, and my seven year old at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, still four at that point, driving a, a a little matchbox car over my head during one of our podcast recordings because he thought the people on the computer were fun. Right? He had never seen that before, and now he's like, "Ugh, how many more of these do you have, mom?" So I, I completely agree, and and you're right in that there is an interesting shift where we could leave the office before. And today I I am sitting in our office, but for those who are still working at home or prefer that method, they don't have the car to get into, to close, to then put, put the wall between work and life. Dale, what are what are your, some of your thoughts on this?
3: I I think the, the great migration is, is still out there. Here's something awesome. Uh, I wasn't expecting this, but a a broker friend of mine from South Carolina had never thought of this. And we were at this group and, um, he said, I'm losing employees. He was in uh, uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And he said, I'm losing employees to New Jersey and Miami because these firms are calling my employees and offering them $20,000 more than I can pay them. And it's still 10000 less than they're paying in New Jersey and Miami. And they can work anywhere. And they didn't care. And he goes, I'm getting poached by people all over the country. I'd never, I had never, I'm just thinking locally, but this thing has changed. By the way, you know, a 59-year-old owner, I'm the worst one to ask, what do I think about work? I want everybody in the office, right? That's what we as leaders, everybody should be in the office. I'm the worst one to ask about that. But I mean, I'd never thought about getting poached from places all over the country, and it was still less than they were paying in their market. And much more than he could keep up with. I'd never thought about that. Interesting. I think, by the way, I think we're created for community. I think we're created to be around each other. And I hopefully this comes back to the norm, and people w- we we want to get back closer and be around around people.
2: So. Yeah. So if I could jump in, a uh, kind of a similar theme, but you know, one of the things we've heard and talked a lot about in our other episodes is a real need for workday for work flexibility from employees and, in, and, frankly, an expectation for it. And I'm interested in, you know, how you guys view that, because it seems like that definition of full-time employee might be shifting as well. Um, you've got more gig workers, temporary workers, consultants, a lot of things added to the mix. And, you know, I think historically um, what you guys have done is really advise your employer clients on, benefit strategies for full-time employees. And I'm interested, you know, have you found the conversations shifting at all with your employer clients? Is there an interest in in some of these other workers that maybe are working in non-traditional shifts? Or or are there other things that you're doing from a benefit strategy when you you look at the fact that people are working different times, you know, sometimes in the office, sometimes at home, you know, things of that nature. I, you know, Dale, maybe we could start with you. I don't know if it's as relevant um, for the clients you work with, but I'm, you know, I'm interested in, you know, are those sorts of things coming up?
3: So I remember I'm I'm 100% schools. Schools are a different burr, but there are organizations that have uh, kind of um, kind of fractional employees that go around to maybe 15 or 16 different school systems, and they, it's not a PEO, but... Uh, something like that so uh, we see that in a different model but in my world not not so much a teachers got teach. a cafeteria cafeteria's got to be at the cafeteria
2: no that makes sense my wife is a teacher she talks a lot about her lack of workday flexibility so that does definitely um definitely resonate with me uh jeff how about you
5: i think the from the i think hybrids the new reality right i, I think that if you know i've, I've got employers that have kind of you know, some employers are, are, you know, I got a light manufacturing client of mine. I was spending time with the CEO and, you know, they've never lived the world without COVID, right? They kept going, right? And so, but that does create a nuance between an organization that has light manufacturing and you've got your white collar, you know, engineers, accounting, et cetera. And so, you know, there's a there's a balancing act between someone who has to come in because their job requires them to be on the floor doing things versus an accountant within his organization that could be hybrid. Does, you got to make sure it goes back to Simon's point. That cultural piece is critical because you don't want an us versus them mentality. Um, I think the the hybrid world is kind of where we're at. If you, you know, you know, at Alliant, we are a hybrid environment, right? Most of my clients are in a position where, you know, they're looking for for best talent anywhere. You know, I was sharing with, a, sharing with someone the other day a lot of my clients now you know it, it's not uncommon for me to have clients historically in the past where they were local to let's say california right geography wise i'm working with decision makers now in florida new york chicago right so it, it it's i think employers have realized we can open up our talent opportunities by having a hybrid model which allows us to go find the talent that best fits what we're trying to accomplish i think that's great i think it's wonderful I, I think it's also important as employers think through this how do you still maintain that level of culture that simon's alluded to because at the end of the day people want to be be a part of something i think to dale's point community is important and if you're working from home or you don't feel connected to it to a to a to a brand or a company or a culture how committed are they to you long term right and
2: that's concerning right Yeah, great, great thoughts. Simon, anything out on this one?
4: Yeah, actually, you know, hey, tie it back to the, the balancing act. You know, one of the things that we're going through and I'm, I'm sure Jeff and Dale, and that frankly everybody on this call is going through it. So, hey, get everybody to the office, but we've taught everybody to, you know, have 10 to 12 hours of back to back to back back calls. But now you've added an hour commute and then you come into the office and 10 hours of back-to-back-to-back calls. So the idea is when you when somebody comes into an office, make it meaningful. Why are you here, right? And and, and again, when I come into the office as somebody that has a senior, um, you know, senior role in the firm, I'm not. I can't afford to have ten hours of back to back because um, it defeats the purpose of me coming in. Because if there's a, a a new colleague or one of my direct reports or somebody in the office that be just great to have a cup of coffee with how are you doing what can i do to help you uh, a fellow leader another business line that's what it's all about uh, but if i show up and i'm in an office working then, then it says well i should work from home and we don't want folks to say that they it's a just point hybrids are reality that's a good thing but what are you going to do when you come in the office versus what you do at home and then giving permission to it doesn't have to be, because you're at home, that doesn't mean that every uh, open space on your calendar, somebody has to touch, because that that's not the reality when you're in the office. On the flip side, when you come into the office, that shouldn't be just uh, four or five hours of open space. So it's that balance, it's that rhythm of, it, it, it shouldn't be all or nothing. It should be a little of something in between, and then finding that happy medium. And, and again, I think as leaders, we have to model it, um, and, and then bring it along, and then you know, somebody's going to have their version of this story five, 10 years from now and they'll bring somebody else along. So that's another example of balance.
0: Yeah. If I could just build on that for a second, because, um, you know, we've talked a lot about event-based attendance, right. To to get people interested in coming back into the office and see where it goes from there. Even, Even that has its challenges when you've been hiring across the country for three years now in a very remote environment to attract talent, um, people have moved around, right? Because they know they can work from anywhere. When you start to have an event-based um, activity to get people into the office, how do you then not exclude a part of your population? And mm. so you have to have the right technology to, to have it feel like an inclusive event meeting in the in the office. It, it's gotten much more complicated. And I think balance is the right word that's come up several times now. Uh, but I, I also agree, it's, it's definitely here to stay, no doubt.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to that point and finding opportunities for, for employees to feel as though they're both giving and receiving from the company. I'll pick on a, an employee resource group we have here. It's called the Green Team. So it has that green focus. How can we go about these conversations? What can we do to help the climate, et cetera? And we're working within multiple offices. Some are hybrid, some are in person. And there's scheduling differences based on role. So we're working on creating events where people can come together, whether it's in the Grand Caymans or in Albany, New York, or in Hartford, and how do we not exclude anybody it's it's been very interesting but also very rewarding too to be able to figure this out collectively to build that community and to really give it as a benefit to both the employees and then something larger outside of that so as we work through it i'll be curious to see five ten years down the line where we're ending up at that point if we're all working in the metaverse or what harry um yeah. but going back to to a different question you know some employees look to work to pay the bills Some employees look to pay the bills, but they also want something more, something that can enrich their lives. So how are each of you going about and helping your clients create benefit plans that help them attract and retain these workers? Um, Whether Miami's calling or Colorado, how can we keep these people where they are if we need them to be in a place? And then are you seeing trends vary based on either existing um, culture or generations? So how are you helping them, you know, attract and retain these workers? And then from those experiences, are there things sticking out whether it's culture related, generation related that are coming into play? So I don't know, Jeff, if you want to jump wow. in on that one. Um,
5: great question. Um, I think when you look at heavy. things like just <laughs> communications, right, on-demand communications, I think reaching people 24-7 is critical, right? And I think that spans the entire gamut. You look at every every age group. I mean, some people want to receive print material. Some people want to receive, you know, on their, they want a QR code. They want to receive it. But the key is to get it in their hands 24-7, right, to access that information. Because people are consuming information at different times of the day different work schedule of the day, right, where, where, where someone may have had a commute for an hour each way that they've they've got two hours now if other times they can consume information. So from that perspective, I think, you know, the communication piece has been critical to align companies, right, because they do have so many more employees now outside of their their, their own geographical areas. How do we make sure we connect with our employees across the U.S. or, or globally? Um, I think that one of the things we've seen, if this kind of alludes to it as well, is, You know, when you look at clients that have, you know, with respect to COVID, I don't want to overplay COVID, but it brought about a lot of things where employers realized that employees were isolated, they were lonely, right? They they need a need to connect. We've seen a, a much larger increase in enhanced mental health than ever with our clients, right? Where a traditional EAP program just wasn't cutting it, right? How do we meet our employees where they're at because they are balancing so much, not just work, but you know, maybe family members that are going through health issues with COVID or otherwise, and just navigating that, right? You know, managing daycare for kids, right? That, that was something we never thought about with our employees, right? As much, right? That people dropped their kids off at daycare and came to work. Now, now it's like, oh, the, the world's kind of shifted. How do we manage that, that workload? I think that's important. Um, I think a lot more employers are very focused on being a, an employer of choice, I've got more clients than ever doing family-forming benefits, right? And, and really meeting their employees where they need to find them in terms of things like adoption or in vitro and things like that. So I think it's caused a lot of employers to look and say, where do we want to spend our dollars, right? So when you think about most employers, you know, payroll is the highest spend, benefits price, second highest spend in an organization. How do we make these benefits stretch and work to our advantage, to our population? And I think that's the part a lot of our employers rely on us to kind of help navigate and guide them through through consulting and, and benchmarking and kind of understand their culture and being aligned in that regard.
1: Yeah, Simon, what are you seeing?
4: Yeah, so uh, I can't say anything because i would be giving away my trade secrets to Jeff and Dale, just joking. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, uh, I'd say when our employers were coming to us, it, it's, it, it's, it's different, it's unique, and I think words matter. We love talking in terms of benefit design and products and carriers and vendors and point solutions. And really, that's our world. Our clients really want us to solve their problems. And so their problems come in different shapes and forms, meaning um, they could be solving for a benefit. They could be solving for a time-off transformation. So they're presenting, I really see it as a pitch and pair they're really pitching their problem to us. If they, if we have the discipline to listen and we need to pair it with the solution and that solution could be vendor related, carrier related, benefit design related. So I think it's being that active listener as consultants, we naturally want to jump to the solution. Right. And so to me, it's again, flexing that different muscle and Hey, what's the problem, pitch it, present it. You have it. Then how do we pair it with the solution? I think that's the difference. We've always done that and and obviously Jeff and Dale do it every day, but I think that's where making sure that that listening in the problem comes first, because again, this targeted, it's just you're solving a benefit or you're just solving a population. It's really not that easy. And I think that listening, that nuance and uh, thinking differently than just those boxes is something we're required to do. And frankly, our, I think our clients in the market will push everybody to keep thinking that way.
1: I love that. I love the pitch and pair concept. It, 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 works across, you know, all fields, but especially here, it's, it's important. Active listening is difficult for some, but so important for all of us. Dale, what are you, what are you seeing out where you are?
3: So Jeff handled the, the kind of the product part of it. i want to go kind of, uh, Higher than that. Years ago, I got my certified financial planning designation when I started in the business because I realized that I'd been working at a financial planning firm but left to go in benefits. And I realized the stakes. We're the financial planner to the average American in this country. They don't go call CFPs and stockbrokers. Most everybody protects the risks that our families face. Think of what we do through benefits at work. So the person or the team responsible for building benefits is the financial planner to the average American today. It's where we solve almost all of our risks. We protect our health, our incomes, we protect our life, we protect our ability to retire one day. And I've just always believed in adding more product because the number, well, if we get, well, over there, they have this, or over there, they have this, and trying to you know fill up all the spreadsheets with you know more products and more stuff on products. I think we empty people's pockets. There's four main things that people have to have: health insurance, protect your income, buy life insurance, and save money. And if you do those four things in that order, that accommodates most of the eventualities that happen in people's lives. And from there, offshoots everything else. And so, uh, people. I've always said people don't care how something works until they need. It. They two things. People don't care how a product works until they need it. But most importantly, all we want to know is, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing with my money in a 401k? If I have an equity income or a growth in income fund in my 401k, it makes a difference, but I don't care. All I want to know is, am I doing the right thing? And as an industry, if we can begin to learn how to just place people where they need to be and build products with less stuff, but just that, that solve risk more appropriately and more efficiently and then teach people how to get people in the right things and then have the ability to communicate whenever you need it, wherever, as Jeff said, whatever, whatever method you want to receive it in, then have it to be one of the best environments that they receive it. I don't care if you want it this way, if you want it this way or this way, I don't care, but however you want it, it needs to be the best method you've ever been in, engaged in because they don't care about it until they need it. And then they want to know that they've done the right thing and how do I solve it. So that was a kind of high level, maybe one, what you asked for. It's kind of something we believe here.
0: Yeah, Dale. So actually that's a, it's a great segue to a question that I wanted to ask you all, which we've talked about. um, We've talked about solutions and design, but you just touched upon people understanding their benefits. Right. And, um, Mm -hmm. Almost every study that you see about employer provided benefit programs have a, has a common theme in it, and that is that employees generally don't understand the benefits that are available to them. I know uh, probably about a year and a half ago now, you know, LIMRA and Ernst and Young did a study, and uh, one of the findings that came out of it was that roughly two-thirds of employees didn't feel that their employer did a very good job communicating the benefit program. Uh, it's a huge gap in our industry around the average consumer, understanding what's available to them and what decisions they should be making. Um, so I'm, I'm curious uh, to hear from you what, what you all are doing, what your firms are doing to help employers communicate in a way that helps their employees understand making that right decision up front before they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of changing that paradigm a little bit. So I don't know who wants to to go first on that. I can off, jump can I in? I take
3: off on that real quick?
0: And go for it. Now
3: So Harry, uh, this is oh, this is my heartbeat. Um, my pastor <laughs> said a great quote. Andy Stanley made a great quote. He said, "Build what you're going to build from an outsider's perspective, not an insider's perspective." It changed our firm. Our industry in the past, we're getting better. Our industry in the past hasn't really cared about an outsider's perspective, only an insider. If you wanna believe that, go back and look at the old short-term disability applications. Take your salary, multiply it by 12, divide by 52, multiply by 0.6, divide by 10, multiply by, what? I don't even know what I make, right? And we were giving that to frontline workers. We were giving that to people. And your long term disability, take your salary, divide it by 100. What? I'm, so, the point is build what you're going to build from an outsider's perspective, not an insider. Nobody cares what we think. What does the customer build? Our stuff, our technology, our fonts, our colors, our wording build these things from their perspective, not our perspective.
0: I'll oh, shut up. <clears throat> no, I love the passion. I know, Simon, you were
4: going to jump in there. Yeah, and so I'd say you know I always say that to, to, uh, to us, and I think of solutions. And Harry, this might be directed a little bit more to you if you think about this. So if you like it, you better give me credit for it. <laughs> uh, but I'm just teasing. But when you think about open enrollment, you know, while simple, and again, we get into this habit; it's a pattern. We say it is open enrollment, or we're implementing something new, and new new plan design, new time off, what new whatever it is. It's an opportunity to be a commercial and take credit for all the things why you made that decision. So we've partnered with X partner, whether it's a consulting firm or broker or a vendor or both to provide X. And then that open enrollment could be a, regardless of how many employees, let's just say you have a thousand employees, that could be a positive 1,000 person commercial or that can go the other way. And so you have to understand the power of a commercial, the power of explaining why you're doing it and being intentional, and why are we being intentional? Again, employers have surveys. They talk about what they're doing. They're talking about what they're needing. It's really important, the intentionality of we're implementing this with this intention because we heard you. So I think that's important. I think the other part is, and here's why we made this partner selection. It's important. But then the most important thing is execution. That's where the commercial comes in. That commercial's coming either way but through execution communication and, and setting the right expectations it's going to be a, a, a commercial for something very positive or uh, uh you know how the other side goes so I, I really think open enrollment messaging why you're doing it and when somebody's going through it the expected outcome and how you're trying to, get to solve a problem and personalize a solution um i, I think that's where it, it could be a commercial for good Great. Jeff, did you want to
5: add? I just anything? add to, to Dale's point. I mean, you got to meet the employees where they're at. I think that our industry is very acronym driven. And I think a lot of employees just don't, they don't live in that world. Right. And so I think the insurance companies traditionally do a really good job of sending lots of bulk mail out and lots of billing statements out to employees that just don't get it. Right. And so you know, it's little things. Like I said, the on-demand communications is critical. How we customize those communication pieces is 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 that it's customizable to the audience we're with. I think we've done some things with certain environments where, you know, really just glossary terms. To be candid, health literacy, you know, helping people understand how plans work, as simple as if we're going to have a plan that was a traditional PPO and and then a high deductible health plan. Let's give a real example in a meeting that says, if you have a baby, here's how plan A works, here's how plan B works, and walk through the actual plan designs and what your spend would be, right? What your costs would look like. People can relate to that, you know? I mean, I think that, um, I think people want things uh, quickly. I think Dale's 100% right. I think most people go through their careers uh not all, but the ones that are healthy do that don't pay a lot of attention until boom, a claim hits and all of a sudden like, how does all this work? Because I haven't really been paying attention for the past ten years, right? And then it gets real fast for people. Right. And so um, you know, like Simon said, there's lots of tools out there, you know, decision support tools to different things. But again, it's those are products. I think you gotta figure out what your client's trying to accomplish and and fix. I always look at what your client trying to accomplish, avoid, or fix. And we can help figure that out by asking good questions and then meet meet the needs of the employees where they're at. And it may vary, right? Like I said, that light manufacturing client, how we speak to one half of the organization is different than how we speak to the other half in the sense of the health literacy part, that you consume healthcare differently. And how do we reach those populations and, and get them what they
3: need so it makes sense to them What's that saying, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, but you can give them salt and make them (laughs) thirsty.
1: (laughs) That's true. That is so true. So I guess to flip the conversation a little bit, we've talked about the employee side of things um, and we've, we have the inset- insights from each of you. But to dig deeper a little bit into the broker side, you know, we talked about how there's a rapid change of pace in technology. There's a change in workforce dynamics. It's the culture play. A lot of outside and inside forces are are causing change and they've caused change, especially over the few uh, last few years in particular. So what should brokers start planning for now? Like how, what should they be planning for? What they, what should they be thinking about in order to respond to all of these dynamics that are changing around them? Hmm.
3: We're, hiring, I hear a we're thought? hiring a consulting firm to start looking at some kind of next gen uh, thinking of, of, where early generations are even before, not even in the workforce yet, where are they thinking? What are they thinking? And you know, I'm too old to be thinking of where they are, but that's why we're about to hire somebody to do this.
1: <laughs> Jeff, do you have any thoughts on that?
5: Yeah, I think um, I think that companies that are thinking about technology—if you're thinking about it, and you haven't done anything. You're probably behind, right? Um, we have a tech, we have Mm -hmm. a a technical advisor group with, with inside of Alliant that helps our clients navigate, you know, there's just so much, right. There's, there's, there's the, the, the human capital management side of it, the learning development side of things and making sure you have a system. That's the one thing employers can get caught up in is there's so many different systems to look at, right. Whether, whether on a, on a, on a grand scale or smaller scale, depending on the size they are as an employer. Um, I think that, the one thing is for certain is we got to make it easier to consume healthcare decisions, right? And I think that's that's the part mm. that, that'll be interesting. I think you've got, it, and it's complex, right? Employers are dealing with what's the right, who's the right payroll vendor? If you've met one, let me know because I've yet to meet one, right? So... But the truth be told is every vendor is going to look differently for every environment. The key is, can they get to their employee population with with content? Like I said, I keep using the word consumable. How does the employee get to something quickly and efficiently? You know, we've created some 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 uh, some options for our clients to consume information via, you know, mobile apps, things like that, which is helpful. Not every employer wants that, right? So again, it's making sure that there's not a one-size-fits-all when you talk technology. I think you've got to figure out what that looks like for each individual employer group. Um, but I think technology is here to stay. And we've got to figure out a way to make it make it easier for employees to to navigate that, you know, in, in a hybrid environment. You know, they're not just coming to the office and can pop on a computer, right? How how do they get that data? It's really important.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So if I could jump in, this this has been just a, a fun and illuminating conversation. Um, but as we move to wrap it up, I just want to ask Harry, anything you want to share? Any final question or thought that you want to highlight after after this really great discussion?
0: Yeah. No final question, but I just wanted to highlight a few comments that I heard along the way, and I, I think one from each of our guests. Right. Um, I I heard that we are the financial planners of the average consumer. And I, and I really like that because it is absolutely true. The average uh, consumer relies on their employer in so many ways to protect the risks. And uh, so I, I love that quote. Um, I heard very early in the conversation, outsourcing culture. Uh, boy, that, that is well said, that as you bring together a solution of various partners and solution providers um, for an employer, that employer is really outsourcing their culture and that needs to be integrated into their decision and and execution is critical. Um, And I also heard balancing act come up a number of times. And that is so true, right? Every, every company is different. Um, They have a mix of employees. that's very different and helping the employer meet their employees where they are and finding that balancing act of everything from where they work to how they communicate, I think is just critically important for all of us, uh, uh, both in the, Uh, you know, in the brokerage community, as well as carriers and other solution providers. So um, just really great comments. I want to thank each of you for, for joining us. I know that your clients are in good hands. I can tell from the responses that we had today. So thank you for your time. Appreciate it. So that's it, Todd.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you, Harry, for those insights. And uh, Harry, Laura, thank you guys as always, Dale, Jeff, and Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I want to thank the audience. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a lot more fun conversations coming your way. So keep an eye on your podcast feeds. But for now, that is all at the Working Forward podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll speak to you soon.
1: You're listening to Working Forward, Future of Work podcast series. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Sumetra Life Insurance Company or its affiliates. The host is not affiliated with Sumetra Life Insurance Company and or any of its affiliates and is solely responsible for the content.